You guys can be seated. I'm going to add my welcome to Zach's. My name's Kevin. The privilege of being the pastor here at Grace Fellowship. I also wanted to mention one more announcement, uh, and that is, uh, some of you may know, we have hired a new administrative assistant in the office next door. Her name is Charlotte Mims, and she is hiding in the back corner with her husband, Kevin. Uh, And so please make sure to embarrass her and make her feel awkward after the service. Uh, No, please introduce yourself to Charlotte if you haven't been by the office yet and and met her. uh, Please make sure you say hey to her. Uh, on your way out this morning. Uh, Let's turn to the book of Proverbs if you have a Bible. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of those that's in the chair there. Uh, Our passage for today is Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. It should be on page 528 if you're using the the Bible in the row. Uh, Last week, we started a new series called Walking with the Wise. Uh, And that title actually comes from this book of Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 20 says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I don't know about you, but I want to become wise. I don't want to suffer harm. I want to I want to walk with the wise and become wise. Uh, I need to become wise. My family needs me to be wise. The world around us needs us to be wise. Uh, Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 4, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So we, wisdom is in short supply in our day. It's in short supply in the church. It's in short supply in the lives of Christians, and so we need wisdom. And so that's what we're doing this summer. We're learning to walk with the wise, uh, and we're starting with the book of Proverbs. Now, what is wisdom? We also defined that last week, and here's, the, here's our working definition for wisdom. Wisdom is the skill of living well in God's world. Uh, so wisdom is, not, uh, wisdom is not simply knowledge, though you have to have knowledge in order to have wisdom. But wisdom is actually the, actually the skill of applying what you know. Wisdom is the skill of living well in God's world. Another way to look at it is that, that wisdom meets us where God's law uh, leaves us or leaves off, right? God's law gives us the, 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 the big picture, the black and white uh, principles, uh, and it's true and it's good, but it doesn't answer every question. How much screen time? Should you give your children, if you should give them any? Uh, how much uh, should you take that job? Right? Should you make that move? Should you marry her? Should you marry him? Where should you go to school? Should you homeschool your children or not? Surprisingly, the Bible doesn't answer explicitly all of those questions. And so we need wisdom to navigate those areas of life. For instance, you can know that a, a water will move a boat downstream, right? So if you're sitting in a boat in a river, you will move downstream. But it's wisdom that knows how to navigate the current to keep you out of trouble. So if you find yourself hitting the same rocks over and over and over again... Wisdom 
is what you need. Knowledge, you, you, you seem to know where the rocks are, you just don't know how to avoid them. How to avoid them, that's wisdom. And so this morning, uh, we continue uh, down this path of walking with the wise. Let's give our attention to God's word, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask him for his help. Lord, just as these were Solomon's words to his sons, these are also your words to us. And so, God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, and that we would not be wise in our own eyes. So, Lord, would you bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question. What is the good life? Now when I say that phrase, the good life, there are no doubt certain uh, pictures, images that pop into your brain that you automatically have kind of a, a standard, your idea of what the good life is. Is it, a, is it a place on the lake, fishing every weekend? Is that the good life? How would you define that? And then as you define it, how do we achieve it? How do we get there? How do we move towards, into the good life? Well, Proverbs gives us a vision of the good life. It tells us how we get there. Notice, uh, so what we have here in these first nine chapters of Proverbs is a series of invitations uh, from a father to a son. Uh, it was written by King Solomon. I mentioned that last week. Uh, and this was used to train not just Solomon's children, uh, but, but nobles in the court, right? If you wanted to train leaders uh, to rule Israel, they used Proverbs to do that. Uh, so this is a series of invitations, these first nine chapters are, that are trying to compel the young to gain wisdom. So if you are young this morning, then this is particularly directed at you. 
Uh, we need to gain wisdom. Uh, and so you have a series of invitations, uh, and you'll notice here in this passage, in these first 12, 12 verses, that each one of these commands or invitations is followed by incentives, and some pretty astonishing ones at that. For instance, if you look at verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. Right? Each one of these lines in this, uh, in this proverb, this section of Proverbs, contains these wonderful incentives of what it looks like to follow the Lord, uh, of what the good life could look like. And each one of those incentives is tied to the Lord himself. And that's really, that's really the point of this passage, that if we want the good life, all of the promises, all of the incentives, all of the blessings of the good life are connected to the Lord, that we do not have them apart from him, that they are connected in relationship to him. So here's what these verses are telling us, right? That the good life flows from a heart set on God. The good life flows out of a heart set on the Lord. Now, maybe that's exactly the opposite of what you think. Maybe you would think, you know what? I don't feel like life with the Lord is the good life. I feel like life with the Lord is the restrictive life. I feel like life with the Lord is the dull life. I feel like God is always saying no to something. He seems to kind of be a master of the no, right? Always saying no to this, no to that. How in the world can you say uh, that, that God offers the good life when he seems to say no so often? Now, we do need to affirm, I do need to affirm that God does in fact say no. That God's word often says no. And, it, and that no often challenges the deepest desires of my heart. That there are things that I want that God says no to. Um, but what the Bible does tell us is that when God says no, he follows it with a better yes. Right? These verses should, should change the way. Like if that's, if that's the way we typically think about God, that he's this ogre who's just ready to wrap us on the knuckles with a ruler and whip us into shape... Here we have a God who welcomes us into something better, who's pointing us towards a better life and fellowship with him. And that means that when God says no, he's saying no to things that break my fellowship with him. Right? When, for instance, God says, do not murder. I don't know about you, that's a pretty good no. I like that no, because it says yes to human life, right? God says, do not steal. I like that no. It means that I can own things, uh, and I don't have to worry about somebody taking them from me, right? So God's no's are actually couched in better yeses. And this, this tw these 12 verses are a great example of that, of the incentives of what it looks like to walk with God. So what does this heart set look like? And we're going to use three words from the passage to... Uh, summarize what it teaches. Listen, trust, and honor. 
When, when God calls us to walk with him, invites us to walk with him and learn wisdom, uh, he, we're going to look at it under three headings, listen, trust, and honor. First, listen. Look at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And then notice what the incentive is. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Peace. That's the word shalom. Uh, You may have heard it before. It doesn't simply mean a peaceful, easy feeling. Uh, It means Peace that covers all of life. It means well-being. It means all is right with the world. Everything is good. In fact, we could use shalom, that word peace, to describe the Bible's definition of the good life. Everything is right. Everything is good. That is shalom. And we come by that shalom by listening to our Savior's commands. By keeping his word, by following his words, by listening. Right? Because we are, the Savior's voice is not the only one crying out. And we're going we're gonna to look at, at another passage like this in a couple of weeks. But there are multiple voices around. Like every billboard, every pop-up ad, every commercial is a voice begging us to listen, inviting us to follow, offering us some vision or version of the good life. Right? There, there are multiple voices surrounding us at every turn, inviting us in. But if that voice is not Jesus' voice, then those promises are empty. And those voices that are calling, we call those things idols. Because they're offering a vision of the good life. They want us to trust them, but they cannot deliver on that promise. They are liars. And so we get on this path of wisdom by listening to the right voice. And notice what will happen as we do. Verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Those two words, that phrase, actually describes the character of God throughout the Old Testament. And so the, the wisdom teacher, the father here, is instructing the son to look like God, to have the character of God. So putting those two things together, as we listen to God's instructions, as we hear his words, and as we guard those commandments, our lives, our characters are actually transformed to look like his. And what will be the result? Good reputation with men and with God. Right? And who, who among us would say, yeah, I don't really want to be like God. I really don't want to have his character. Right? Who, who would not want to be defined by steadfast love and faithfulness? By unending mercy? By trustworthiness. Those are, the, those are the things that describe God. And God says when we follow him and as, as his word shapes our characters, those two things will begin to define us as well. So we're surrounded by these voices that are inviting us to follow them. And God offers us a better path. 
Uh, Francis Schaeffer, who is a, a theologian and a pastor, said that the real battleground is our minds. What we believe, this battle of ideas. And so this morning, I would ask, what is it that you are believing to be true? Are you allowing God's word to challenge those beliefs? Most of us, right, just allow the Bible to affirm our own preconceived notions and our personal preferences. Right? We, we go kind of hunting in the Bible just to get a, see, here it is. I feel much better about myself. But actually, when we put ourselves under the full counsel of God's word, are we allowing God's word to challenge us, to mold us, to shape us, to renew us and transform us so that we would become like our Savior, Jesus? We need to listen. We also need to trust. The very heart of this passage is verses 5 through 8. And these are actually very famous verses. They're probably some of the most well-known verses in Proverbs. He says this, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In other words, lean on him, not on yourself. Trust. It's almost like throwing yourself face down. Putting your entire weight, everything that you are, on something. That's, that's trusting. Instead of trusting and leaning on your own limited understanding. Your own self-made wisdom. That's like leaning on a pair of broken crutches. You might get a few steps in, but you're probably going to fall over. That's what the Proverbs call us to, that... that we grow in wisdom as we trust not in ourselves, but as we trust in God. Pastor Ray Ortland tells a story of a man who was crossing uh, an iced-over an iced river. He was uh, new to the area. He, did not, he, he wasn't familiar with the best place to cross, but he had to get across. And so uh, he began the, the voyage very cautiously, uh, basically crawling on his hands and knees across the ice, making sure that it wouldn't buckle underneath his weight. And then as he made his way, you know, painstakingly about halfway across the river, he hears a noise behind him of bells ringing. And he turns around to see a man with a horse-drawn sleigh tearing across the ice, pretty as you please, fast as you can, right? That man had trust. He knew that the weight of the ice could carry him. And so he was sailing right along. That's what we want to be. That's how we want to trust. When was the last time that you were amazed by something? Truly amazed by something good. When was the last time that you were, you were really in awe? Last week we said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we defined the fear of the Lord as that love and awe, that reverential, uh, that, excuse me, that um, affectionate reverence, I believe is the phrase we used. Affectionate reverence, love and awe. When was the last time you were in awe of something? We watched a documentary on the uh, Challenger explosion uh, in, the, in 1986. Uh, but it began by talking about 
the, the journey to, to up to Challenger, which began with the space shuttle program, right? This initiative to get a space shuttle into space that could orbit and then land. That, you know, that may seem like a small thing uh, to break the Earth's gravitational pull and go out into space where there is no atmosphere and then land that back. Like that's, that's pretty amazing. And we were amazed, right? In 1981, Shuttle Columbia took off and then came back. It was the first time we had brought, not only had we built a spaceship, but then we got it back. Y'all, we built a spaceship. And we got it back with all the people still alive. That's pretty amazing, right? And people were amazed. There were, there were crowds thronging Edwards Air Force Base as the shuttle landed, cheering, waving American flags, right? Uh, it gave us something to be proud of after the debacle of Vietnam, right? But then what happens? Then we just start sending up more shuttles. And the ratings dip and people are less and less and less amazed. Because, I mean, you know, we send rocket ships into space with people on them, right? We get less and less amazed. It's interesting, we seem to get distressed about a lot, but amazed by very little. I wonder if there's not a correlation there. That when we lose sight of what is big and glorious and good, uh, that when, when, when our eyes trail off of that, uh, we begin to get distressed over the, the little things, the small things, even the inconsequential things. Proverbs invites us to renew our trust, to renew our fear, to once, a, once again see something that is so big and awesome and trustworthy. Someone who we can throw everything onto, the good, the bad, the honorable, the shameful, that we can trust him and stop carrying our own weight, stop leaning on our own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, know him. That's more, than, that's more than notional knowledge. That's more than facts. This is a person, knowing a person, walking with a person. And he will make straight your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And listen to this promise. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Friend, what I need is not more of me. I need more of him. That's where renewal is. That's where health is. I need to be amazed at God once again. Trust. And then the last word is honor. Honor the Lord. The word for honor here is the word we use for weight or weighty. In that some, some people carry more weight with you than others, right? There, there are opinions and thoughts and actions of certain people uh, that you give more weight to, that are more important to you. What they say or do influences you more greatly because you give them more weight. Solomon is calling us to give the Lord his proper weight, his proper influence. How can I tell if God is weighty? To me, or wait less. And Solomon gives us two scenarios. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, 
and with the first fruits of all your produce. So we're going to revisit money, the Proverbs. Uh, so how we're going to do this is uh, in a couple more weeks, we're going to start going through different topics in Proverbs. And one of those is going to be money because the Proverbs have a lot to say about money. Jesus himself talked a lot about money. So we're going to revisit that whole topic later. But notice right here that the way we honor the Lord with our wealth is not by giving him a tip, is not by giving him leftovers. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, not many of us are farmers, though some are, um, and we typically don't. Uh, we, we don't we don't bring uh, vegetables into the temple. Well, we did bring vegetables to the church this morning. Somebody did, um, but right that's not that's not our offering anymore, right? So the way that we would apply this is we talk about when you make your budget, your household budget. Where is the Lord in your considerations? Right? Do you pay everything else first, and then all right, whatever's left over, we'll give it to Him. What this verse is telling us is that actually, no, we honor him by giving him the first. We set aside first thing for the Lord, his 10%. Um, and we, we'll get more into that later on. But we set aside for the Lord first, and then what's left. And I love the way that uh, uh, Ray Ortland's a pastor whose work on this I'm, I'm making a lot of use of. He talks about how generous God is. He says, we set aside 10%, and then he gives us a 90% commission to live on. That's a pretty gracious, that's a pretty gracious master, right? So we honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits. And he makes an interesting promise. He says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So, Kevin, you're telling me that if we give, if we do this, if we do what you're saying, that we're automatically going to receive more back? Remember that the Proverbs are not mechanical, these are, not, these are not concrete promises of like, this is what will happen every single time. Right? This is not prosperity theology that says uh, the Lord wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Okay, that's, that's selfishness, that's materialism masquerading as, as uh, we know with some Bible verses on it. That's not what the Bible teaches. Right? But what the Proverbs do teach is the normal course of life. That as we honor the Lord, I believe we will find... That our barns are not empty. That our vats will be full of wine. And I could give you multiple testimonies from people in this room who have spent a lifetime giving sacrificially to the Lord who have never found their pantries to run dry. Right? Um, Listen to what Matthew Henry says. Uh, Matthew Henry is a, a Puritan commentator. He writes this. God will bless you with an increase of that which is for use, not for show. For giving away not for hoarding. Those who do good with what they have shall have more to do good with. That's what's at work here. That's the idea here. So we honor the Lord when things are good, but we also honor the Lord when things are hard. Look at verse 11. And this is, by the way, one of the things that tells you that prosperity theology isn't in the Bible is because God not only brings blessings... But he also will bring sorrow into our lives. Look at verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. 
For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. God sends both blessing and sorrow. Right? There are, there, are, there are good times, and then there are times that are hard. And if we need proof of that, right? Uh, just look at the life of Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 8 even tells us that Jesus himself learned obedience through what he suffered. That part of what made Jesus the perfect Savior was that he endured life struggles and temptations by obediently following his Father's will. He never once laid that down. Right? So suffering is part of the Lord's discipline. And so when suffering comes into our lives, when discipline is a part of our lives... Right? We all, what do we often think? We often think, well, if I'm being disciplined, I must not be loved. God, God must not love me. If he's allowing this to happen to me, God must not love me. But what does the Bible say? The Lord disciplines those whom he loves as a son, the father in whom he delights. That discipline is not proof that God is mad at you. It's actually proof that God loves you. Hebrews 12 even elaborates on this verse by saying that, it's illegitimate children who are not disciplined, right? In, in the ancient world, uh, you would have your wife and your families, particularly if you were well off, right? You would have your wife and family, your heirs. But it was not uncommon to also have a mistress on the side or maybe many. And therefore, you would have illegitimate children everywhere. Now, what kind of, illegitimate, what kind of uh, favor do you think those illegitimate children got? They certainly didn't get any attention from their father. If they were lucky, they got a stipend to survive on, right? That's, what, that's how illegitimate children are treated. They're ignored. They're passively entertained, right? We just kind of let them, let them be out there because the, the true children, true children are disciplined. The heirs get our attention, that's what, that's what the Bible teaches us about suffering and discipline, that, that it's God focusing in on us and loving us towards holiness. And so one of the ways we honor uh, the Lord in tough times is we receive that discipline. We remember that God loves us. He doesn't hate us. Remember, these are instructions of a father to a child. So... We listen, we trust, we honor. That's the, the walk. Uh, that's what this relationship towards the good life looks like. But what happens when we don't? What happens when I don't listen? What happens when I don't trust? What happens when I don't honor? Well, let me tell you about Solomon. I already mentioned that Solomon was the writer and compiler of this book we call Proverbs. He's the original voice behind it. Uh, he gave it, uh, he wrote it to give to the wisdom to the next generation. He was the wisest king uh, who ever ruled Israel. And his wisdom was even world-renowned. Royalty from other places came to visit Solomon and look at all of his wisdom and all of the wealth and stuff that he had accrued because of his wisdom. It was Solomon who wrote these words, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But do you know what happened to Solomon? Not even Solomon could follow his own advice. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4 says this. When Solomon was old, 
his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of, his, of David his father. Verse 6, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Verse 9, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. What do we do when even the writer of wisdom himself fails to carry out his own advice? When his heart turns away from the Lord, is there anybody that can give us hope? We need a faithful son. We need somebody better than Solomon. Right? We need a faithful son who will listen to his father. Somebody who's defined by steadfast love and faithfulness, that they never leave him. One who leans on God constantly and who honors him with everything, good and bad. It's interesting, when Jesus' opponents asked him for a sign, but they refused to listen to his words, he said this, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus Christ is the son of who is greater than Solomon. Wisdom ultimately is a person. And that person's name is Jesus. Jesus is that something solid you can rest your life on. And he brings shalom. It doesn't mean that life will always go exactly the way that you planned it. But he brings shalom to those who rest in him. I pray that you would trust in Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Our gracious God, would you show us the end of ourselves? Show us the limits of our own understanding. Bring us up short so that we would trust in you and in you alone. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.